Welcome to the RSP Campus to Canton podcast. We are back after a little bit of a spring summer hiatus, getting a chance to kind of, you know, rest and relax and that kind of thing. So, you know, we are uh, we're back for 2023. So, joining me once again from Campus to Canton is the one and only Felix Sharp, and it's always a pleasure to be able to do this. I'm glad we had a fun year last year, and we're ready to do it again. Uh, Matt, thank you for having me. I think that you know this, but you uh, hold a lot of influence in our community, and um, you have the ability to to validate things and people. And by having me here, I think you're doing that for me. I think you're doing that for the Campus to Canton format. And so, from all of us uh, at Campus to Canton, sincerely, I you know I, I thank you for um, giving me and us your platform to to help grow this this format. Man, it's my pleasure, and and. I say that just because, I mean, when you think about what you guys do, I mean, you've got, you know, you know, I've I've often done, you know, what we've done in ad read pretty much every every week when we did this. That, you know, when you describe it as dynasty fantasy football paired with college fantasy, um, that makes you know when you think about the fact that you can have your simultaneously working through or looking at and analyzing college and NFL every week. That's an awesome combination. And it's something that just fits right in with what, you know, what I do at the RSP. So why wouldn't I want to see this grow? Why wouldn't all our re our listeners who, who love, you know, learning about rookies and learning about scouting and, and, you know, and love the game of football, why wouldn't they want to give that a shot? Especially if they're really diehard, you know, fantasy football dynasty folks. I mean, because people go down that rabbit hole. And I mean, I think about the rabbit holes I went down before I even started writing when I was, you know, just a, a fan in this space. And if Campus to Canton were a thing, I know the people in my office space where we were working oh they would have been all over this they would have loved this i mean especially in athens georgia i mean are you kidding me <laughs> you know i mean that's that that's bigger than that's bigger than nfl and they were big nfl fans well i think the thing that draws us to fantasy football especially in the dynasty context is discovery like finding new players. That's why everybody's looking at, you know, how's Zach Evans looking? How's Israel Abanaconda looking? You know, Gabe Davis wants a, a value for the Buffalo Bills. We love that. But in college football, we turn it up a notch because, one, we have a whole class that leaves every single year, and we have to project these players who haven't played in our format we have to say these players who haven't played are coming out of high school, that we're projecting them to the NFL. And so the challenge of discovery and figuring out who is next i mean it's 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 a it's a great th thrill and as matt said yes campus to can as a format if you haven't heard you have your regular uh, nfl team and you have a corresponding college team when your college players declare for the nfl draft they're added to your nfl team but there are two championships a college championship you're playing college fantasy weekly and um your nfl team weekly so you know, the ultimate goal is to be the king, the king of seas, as we say, to win both to win both sides. But it's just so much fun um, to to follow the college game this way through a, a C2C format. Yeah, we'll check it out at campus Definitely head on over there and go from here. We uh, I, I'll say that we, we were looking at the possibility of me doing a league last year and i was like definitely gonna do it and then we had some things come up um one of them is i'm gonna blame my wife a little bit just because she's she was in law school so there were time there were a lot of things going on here that that i i needed to be a little bit more available for but i think this year is going to be a lot easier so. i dropped the ball and startup season is really you know January, February, somewhere around there. And we'll be talking because we'll be talking about this class, the 2024 class when that comes around. And so that's your prime RSP season. Maybe we'll wait until the RSP is released, but we're going to get you in this. In yeah, this, this we'll year. figure it out. So yeah. this week, for those of you, um, those of you who are listening and, you know, again, is that we're going to look at 10 things that Felix is looking at, you know, heading in to football season because what as you said 
college football, what, 11 days away? Is that it? Is that what you said? 11 days. 11, week zero, 11 days away. Wow. You do not have to wait just a little bit over a week will we be having college football in week zero of the season. Well, let's let's get it rolling. Who, what is the first thing that, that's on your mind when, when you look at the landscape? Yes, and I'm going to have some team things. I'm going to have some player things that we're looking at, some different stuff. But, you know, I really think of um, my time here as being, even if you weren't paying attention to college, or excuse me, if you're not playing in campus for Canton Leagues, you don't have an interest in college fantasy, I can still give you some things, players, teams, storylines to track uh, as college football season comes. And hopefully, you know, you will uh, consider um, uh, playing in a C2C league one day after, after you know, tr- kind of tracking some of these storylines. So the first, this is in descending, in descending order. Number okay. 10, uh, the, one of the storylines that I'm tracking is the coaching hot seat at both Florida and Texas A&M. Now, Texas A&M, if you don't know, Jimbo Fisher is the head coach uh, there uh, at Texas A&M. They went five and seven last year. This is one of the schools that has really leaned into the NIL um, uh, marketing stuff. Uh, they've paid a lot of money to, to their 2022 recruiting class, the number one recruiting class, I think, of all time. Um, uh, but they've Jimbo Fisher has a $77 million buyout of his contract. They went five and seven last year and had some really bad losses they uh, were not bowl eligible. You got to win six games to be bowl eligible. I don't know what's worse. The fact that if it's worse going five and seven and not being bowl eligible or going six and six and going to some bowl game and getting getting and, beat by a G5 team. So, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, just as an interjection, but last year I remember, wasn't it Nick Saban who got all prickly about the recruiting class that Texas A&M had and grumbled about maybe the propriety of all this and NIL and what's going on is is Nick Saban kind of like laughing right now a little bit yeah so I don't know that he said something about Texas A&M specifically but I right. yes there was a dust up between Nick Saban and his former assistant Jimbo Fisher yeah. uh, 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 and he may have said it directly about Texas A&M saying what the, what Alabama does versus what Texas A&M does but the funny thing is, is that you know every school is doing it now, Alabama's philosophy may t- be to use it for, for transfers or for upperclassmen, whereas other schools are using it to bring in recruiting classes, freshmen. But, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. So um, they got to get things corrected. Their offense was horrible last year, so they bring in, and this is the, the, one of the things I'm tracking, is they bring in Bobby Petrino as offensive coordinator. Bobby Petrino, if you remember uh, him wearing the neck brace during that that press conference at Arkansas. He was Lamar Jackson's head coach uh, at at Louisville while he was there. If you want to go even back further than that to that early 2004-2005 era, Brian Brom, Harry Douglas, Michael Bush, uh, uh, Michael Bush, who many thought was, you know, destined for NFL stardom. He was their head coach. So you've got you know, Jimbo Fisher bringing an older guy to see if he can get this thing turned around. But uh, we kind of think that if they go five and seven, six and six again after spending all this money, Texas A&M might actually come up with the money to pay a $77 million buyout to tell Jimbo Fisher uh, to go somewhere else. So that is one uh, I'm tracking. And then, yeah, it's a disaster. Sorry to interrupt, but this could be a disaster because you think of watching like, I watched Netflix's show on Johnny Manziel mm-hmm. and how much of an influence his performance early on had on Texas A&M riding his coattails to getting the new stadium to like the alumni paying large sums of money to try and make A&M relevant to the level that they did. I mean, since then... You think of Cliff Kingsbury, you think of Kyler Murray after Manziel and Baker Mayfield for a short bit, then Kyler Murray, and, and you look at all of that, and this team really hasn't done what all that money was hoping it would do. And that's kind of, you know, so I, th- I have to think that that's kind of the backdrop with some of what's happening right now, too, that's going to, you'd have to look at it. Do you think it will... Co- have people question whether you should pay players that much money because of how you 
young they are and if you're giving them that much money that early um you know how are they going to perform and i'm not saying i'm against paying them by any stretch of the imagination i just wonder like what kind of deals they had if they were different than if there was any difference that was significant enough from other other teams where because they're all getting because it maybe more of these guys are getting paid and it's such a recruiting class that maybe they're all kind of you know kind of getting high off their own clips to the to a point that they're not ready i think it takes it it definitely it definitely takes a mature kid to get even you know mid uh five figures you know money that you've never had as a kid to be mature and to still go perform and the conversation that you're talking about i think is one that's already being had where should the if to the extent a school a program has nil funds to spend how should it be spent with transfers with players who have earned it just like a, a scholarship players that they developed internally or with freshmen and so that is a, a conversation that's being had okay okay wow and just to finish off that yeah. just to finish off that point uh with florida six and seven last year billy napier's first at head coach i was deeply deeply disappointed with one how, how anthony richardson was used uh last year at florida i thought that dan mullen was a better play caller a more creative play caller i i would say um so florida another sec program with big time expectations graham mertz a transfer from wisconsin uh is taking over for anthony richardson they're probably going to lean on the running back room which billy napier teams always have uh, elijah mitchell who's now with the san francisco 49ers raymond calais who's an undrafted free agent at one point with the la rams and uh trey regus with the with the uh, raiders yeah the raiders yes all of those guys were billy napier running backs at the same time and if i remember correctly in 2000 like 19 they may have all run for a thousand yards so billy napier always uh using a stable run a stable of running backs this year montrell johnson and trevor etn figure to be uh at the head of that running back that that running back trio or or tandem uh if you will so let's see if he can get things on the on the right path because they want to recruit well and they want to win games at florida so two programs with big expectations montrell johnson's interesting i watched him this um this summer already and they he's characterized as a speedster in some places that i've seen but i didn't see that at all but i but <laughs> but he was fun to watch like he's a he has good contact balance you know he seems to be one of those backs that like um it was almost like when i watched mayan williams because you, you you know your favorite you know when i watched him i was like He's got a little more juice than what I expected from what he's characterized, and Montreal Johnson's in the opposite direction um, for me. But they're uh, they're both fascinating players, and and Johnson is someone who, you know, I could see he almost fits what a Florida back has been recruited to be in a lot of ways, where Michael P. Ryan is kind of like the low end for the NFL type, mm -hmm. does everything well enough, but you're never gonna want to use him as a big part of your rotation um and then you've got damian pierce on the opposite end who you could argue should be getting 80 90 you know um 80 or 90 targets in you know in a season um and being a guy who could give you maybe like eckler mccaffrey like volume in the receiving game if if they actually used him to his talents so who's um, so who's like the what's the second point you know what's the second one that you're watching number nine we're going dis descending yeah, number, order. Nine. Number, number nine number nine uh number nine is can tennessee keep the train rolling so last year was a renaissance year for tennessee um I say renaissance year because growing up, it had to be late 90s or early 2000s where T. Martin and Peerless Price were uh, there with what Phil Fulmer was the head coach, I think, at the time. Yeah. Uh, won a national championship. Peerless Price, who ended up going to play with Michael Vick, uh, one of the receivers that the Falcons drafted uh, to play with Michael Vick. Anyway, uh, re renaissance year last year with Hendon Hooker at the helm. 
But I think a lot of, well, I don't think, a lot of credit is given to Josh Heupel, the head coach there, Josh Heupel, who uh, runs Air Art Bryles' air raid system, where we line our wide receivers, our outside wide receivers, damn near, damn near near the sideline to create and use as much space as possible. Um, they beat Alabama, I think, in that game. That that game is probably the game that got Jalen Hyatt the Bolitnikoff Award because he was running all over Alabama's secondary as Alabama tried to guard him with safeties. Uh, they lose Jalen Hyatt this year. They lose Cedric Tillman, and they lose Hendon Hooker. So it's to what extent can this system, this Art Bryles air raid system under Josh Heupel, to what extent can it continue to uh, produce uh, high-level or high-level production? And that production parlays itself into draft capital. So Joe Milton, I think a lot of people know, he was a one-time Michigan quarterback, a, a big, a big player with one of the strongest arms in the country who's made some boneheaded plays both at Michigan, where he was inaccurate, and then in relief of Hendon Hooker, um, is, you know, made a, especially one boneheaded play at the end of the game where there's no time left on the clock. They're about at the tw- at the 20 or so, and he runs out of bounds. Um, so can he put it, put it all together, the physical tools and the mental side of the game, can he put that together this year? And then Squirrel White, a second-year player, a freshman, who is in the mold of Jalen Hyatt, a pure speedster who played well, in the bowl game against Clemson, I think was it Clemson or was it or, or they? I forgot who they played. Anyway, nine catches over a hundred yards and a and a touchdown. We kind of think that he is going to be taking the helm, but Tennessee, after the year that they had last year, can they keep it rolling? Rolling. That's number nine for, for, for Wow. So and we've got a guy named Squirrel. So we've got Squirrel. like we've Squirrel got like. people who we call dogs for how good they are. And they're going to be chasing squirrel. So this, this and that yeah. nickname came from his grandmother, who said she found him chasing a squirrel in the backyard when he was a baby, and that he was keeping up with the squirrel. So that's where he got the. That's where he got the. Nickname. That's fantastic. That's like, yeah, that's that's like um, folk legend right there, kind of stuff. That that's is. awesome. So go. what's number eight? Number eight is the evolution of Zach. Kitley. Uh, Zach Kitley is currently the offensive coordinator at Texas Tech. Now, just for some background, Texas Tech is, I think, is to be considered, you know, one of the modern um, birthplaces for the air raid since Mike Leach was there and kind of, you know, it kind of took over college football from, from that point where Mike Leach's assistants, including, you know, one Cliff Kingsbury, uh, eventually went on to coach. Um, Zach Kitley, for I think is us is considered to be maybe the next like Lincoln Riley type uh, coach, where he goes from offensive coordinator to head coach. Bailey Zappi in 2021 threw for nearly 6,000 yards, <laughs> nearly 6,000 yards and 62 touchdowns. Uh, used that season to go on and be drafted by the New England Patriots. Um, uh, <laughs> Uh, and then uh, Jareth Stearns, his leading receiver, had nearly 2,000 yards receiving, uh, all at Western Kentucky. If he can take that type of offense to a a Power Five school like Texas Tech, it, it might be able to turn that into recruiting. Uh, and the reason I say that is there is already a, what's called a crystal ball that one of the top receivers in next year's class is going to Texas Tech, presumably. That's to be in Zach Kitley's system. And it's it's a five-star player, and we do not see five-star players going to schools like Texas Tech all the time. And so uh, I'm just – Zach Kitley is one of those names that we need to be following um, because I really think that if he gets that offense to the same level or nearly the same level as – the Western Kentucky offense that he had in his one year there, that we're going to see Zach Kitley hired at one of these blue blood schools, Clemson, Alabama, USC, Michigan, a school, Ohio State, a school like that. Or he'll stay at Texas Tech and he'll start to um, bring the elite level recruits in. So the evolution of Zach Kitley here in his second year at Texas Tech is number eight on my list. 
That's awesome. I'm taking notes. So where are we at at number seven? Number seven is Luther Burden. Now let's get into some players. Um, Luther Burden at Missouri, a wide receiver at Missouri. He was the number one recruit, the number one wide receiver recruit in last year's class going to Missouri, a, a school that didn't have a stacked wide receiver depth chart. So many thought that he would really produce um, as a freshman. Now we watched uh, a little bit and talked a little bit about Luther Burden last year. Uh, on our show, on our show together. And what we saw was a player who was catching the ball at or near the line of scrimmage uh, and who was breaking a lot of tackles, just a kind of a monster to bring down for a defensive back, a college defensive back. And you look at his, you know, physical dimensions, 5'11", you you see him anywhere between 208 and 215, and it kind of makes sense. He's built like a running back. 45 receptions, 375 yards last year, six touchdowns, only 8.3 yards per reception. So we're looking at someone who's built like DJ Moore, but used like Rondale Moore, just around um, the line of scrimmage. That's a better description than I was thinking, because I kept thinking he's built like Josh Reed and he's getting stats like NFL Josh Reed, which, (laughs) (laughs) which may not be good, but I like the Moore comparisons. That's better. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, DJ Moore, another player at Maryland who was built like a built like a, a running back. So, um, eight point three yards per reception. Missouri loses its leading receiver from last year, Dominic Lovett, who transfers to uh, Georgia, more of a slot guy. We think that Luther Burden is going to be playing the slot this year. I don't know if that's going to be good or bad for his production and his development, but we had high expectations for this player. Uh, coming in as a recruit, given his athleticism, given the opportunity there at Missouri. And he didn't really live up to those expectations. So we want to see if he's deployed away from the line, a little bit more away from the line of scrimmage in 2023. But when I hear that he's playing the slot, that, is, that doesn't necessarily lead me to believe that he's going to be deployed downfield. So um, there's sort of a little bit of a conflict there, but definitely tracking his progress in year two is one of the main things that we need to be uh, uh, tracking in 2023. Nice. Okay. So, lucky number six. Where are we at there? Number six, quarterback rooms at two Blue Bloods, Ohio State and Alabama. Now, let's start with Alabama. We've gotten used to, since that halftime in the, the 2017 National Championship game, when Tua Tungavialoa came in for Jalen Hurts, We've gotten used to Alabama having a certain uh, level of production there coming from the quarterback position and kind of throwing the ball all over the place to Atunga Vialoa, to Mac Jones, to Bryce Young. It's not going to look like that this year. I think that they're going to be a team that kind of reverts to what they did early in Nick Saban's career where the quarterback is really interchangeable and they win with running the ball and defense the way they did with when Mark Ingram was there at Alabama. Ty Simpson, Tyler Buckner, and Jalen Milrow all have similarities and some differences. Ty Simpson is a five-star quarterback from the state of Tennessee. There was one point at which I think he was actually committed to Tennessee, ends up going to Alabama. He has a Johnny Manziel or Russell Wilson type of flair to his game is the backyard play style. He can also play within structure, but he definitely loves to do the backyard off, off, off script stuff. Uh, Tyler Buckner is a transfer from Notre Dame. The last time he played a full season was like in 2018 in high school where he, in California, where he ran for uh, uh, 1500 yards in that season. I think as a sophomore, uh, was was expected to have a big season at Notre Dame, dealt with injuries there. And so he joins Alabama's backfield, coming along with Tommy Reese, who was the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame last year. He's now the offensive coordinator uh, at Alabama. Aren't they Springs almost over. the same age? I mean, Tommy, <laughs> Reese, Tommy Reese was the quarterback the, at the, the, um, the last time Notre Dame made a national championship game, which was just, you know, that, that was that uh, Manti Teo team, that Manti yeah. Teo. That man, so he's not that old. That's he's what I'm saying. It hasn't been yeah. that long, yeah. you know, and, and Buckner's been around a while. Wow. Yeah. But, okay. That's fascinating. Yeah. But Buckner, uh, Tommy Reese is that his quarterback's coach was um, my former head coach, Chuck Martin. 
uh, was was Tommy oh. Reese's uh, QB coach and offensive coordinator. But then we also get uh, Jalen Milrow, who is probably the best pure rusher slash dual threat of the three. Um, and so who's going to win this job out of the quarterback room? And then at Ohio State, you got Kyle McCord, who played with Marvin Harrison Jr. out of the Philadelphia area in high school. He is the upperclassman. But in, in Devin Brown, I think you have one of the kind of best gunslingers, not afraid to fit it into tight windows, not afraid to deploy the ball downfield, <laughs> averaged nearly 20 yards per attempt uh, in high school, 20 yards per attempt at high school. He took over for Zach Wilson's Corner Canyon School there in Utah. I mean, it's high school, but 20 yards per attempt on 4,000, uh, 4,500 yards passing. It's it's uh, it's absurd. So I'm really interested to see what happens there at both of these schools uh, after the decision is made as to who the starting quarterback is. We could see players enter the transfer portal and that have uh, a domino effect in recruiting and and a lot of different things. So yeah, quarterback ask, rooms. I was going to ask you the over under on that. Would it be two players that are likely to transfer at that at that point? And I would you know and you pretty much answered that. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I think that there's a, the chance uh, of these two rooms. I think that there's the chance that we see uh, Ty Simpson transfer because I, you know he's just in his second year. There are plenty of schools that would be willing to take him, and uh, he could sit out this year and still have. I think technically he could sit out this year and still have four years of eligibility left. So, um, of the of the of the five players that I've discussed here, I think Ty Simpson is the most. And and, and by the way. I have Ty Simpson rostered, and I think he's a good player. So I would be interested in seeing where he ends up if he does, in fact, uh, transfer. Very nice. Okay, so we're we're in we're halfway through this. So who's who's number five? Number five is who is going to emerge in the country at the wide receiver position after Marvin Harrison Jr. The twenty twenty three class took. I mean, it hit. The college football ranks hard. The of our, our established guys, you know, Quentin Johnson, Zay Flowers, Jackson Smith, Najigba, uh, Josh Downs. All of those were guys that were established names at the wide receiver position in college football. And behind those guys, collectively, we have a lot of guys who uh, we haven't seen play a lot, don't have a lot of experience. So who emerges behind those guys? I think that there are two candidates at Washington: Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan. Roma Dunze, who I've seen in a lot of uh, first round mock drafts um uh he more presents a six foot four outside possession guy jalen mcmillan is a slot guy and they get my boy michael Penix jr back um they get a lot of players back they got a third receiver that ain't bad either jalen polk yeah polk yeah jalen jalen polk is a good player and also jeremy bernard who transferred from michigan state to uh to washington this year Uh, kalen demore it was with Michael Penix Jr. at Indiana. Um, if you remember the name, uh, oh, what's that guy's name who torched uh, Ohio State? That's not coming to me. Is it going to come to me? Yeah, it'll I, come to me. Phil time. Law or no, not Phil Law. Um, it's a weird. Na- it's a weird name. Yeah, he's a slot um, guy from a couple years ago. But uh, yeah. oh, Wap Fillier. Wap, Wap, Wap Fillier is who you're thinking. Yeah. Wap Fillier is who you're thinking of. I'm thinking of the outside wide receiver who had like 200 yards against Ohio State. Oh it'll come yeah. To me here yeah. in a second um but 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 Kalen DeBoer is one of those now head coaches that does more with less um and and, and so really good uh, offensive it was also Jake Hayner's uh, offensive coordinator I forgot forgot to say that also Jake Hayner's offensive coordinator in 2021 not last year but 2021 um, so, but who emerges? Who, who emerges behind Marvin Harrison Jr.? You got the Washington guys, and then I really like Barry and Brown at uh, Kentucky. Barry and Brown is in the mold of uh, Marquise Hollywood Brown, one of these speed guys. He's got more size than Hollywood Brown, but a thin frame, explosive kick returner, probably the best kick returner in the country. And then there's a Mecca Abuka. At, at Ohio State, Marvin Harrison Jr.'s teammate, probably going to play the slot this year, has some versatility. But there are a lot of uh, names um, that are, are that haven't we haven't seen a lot from that could emerge behind Marvin Harrison Jr. Tedaroa McMillan, 
who's probably in the Drake London mold uh, at Arizona, another candidate. But there are a lot of guys. But who's going to who are we going to see emerge and establish themselves as a name uh, at the wide receiver position? No, I'm kind of a, on a comedic note on probably both of these is I think, I think, you know, and I'm kind of serious about this one, though. The first one is that I'm, I'm hearing Lad McConkey's name a lot as a guy better than people thought. And that sounds like he's like the Charlie Jones of this particular class, possibly, as people saying, oh, he's better than we thought. He, you know, there's more to this guy's game than meets the eye. And, and, uh, and then the, also, I like how you slipped in Jay Kaner there. It's kind of like, you, you know, if, if, if I'm sponsored, you know, if my, I'm contractually obligated to mention Chad Kelly. Frank Gore. You, you oh, know, I thought you were going to say Frank, Frank Gore. Gore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's on there too. But, uh, but uh, you know, Chad Kelly, then it looks like Jay Kaner might be that guy for you who's having a really nice camp. I mean, I've uh, been at, listen, Jay Kaner has been my guy for, for a while since he was splitting time there at Fresno State transfer from Washington. I think that's going to be a good um, call, man. I think that's yeah, going to be a really yeah, good Jay, call. Jay, Jay Kaner. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you haven't, if you didn't watch the, was it 2020? I can't remember if it was last year or the year before when he upset UCLA in their own house at the end of the game. I mean, one of we're, the best college football games that you'll ever see. We're going we're gonna to find that game, and we're going to watch that together. We're going to make time to do that, and we're going to film it. He was on one leg at the end of the yeah. game. Like, yeah. like it was an injury that hurt him the rest of the season. And he's a mobile quarterback, and he drove them down the uh, drove them down the field anyway. If it was an East Coast game, everybody would be talking about it because the game ended after one o'clock in the morning East Coast time. People didn't see it. One of the best upsets you'll ever see. So who's number four? Number four. This is a conversation that we've had, and so I'll be short here. But it's the Quinshawn Judkins versus Nicholas Singleton for who reigns supreme in the class of twenty twenty five. Both of these, if you have been living under a rock. Uh, Nicholas Singleton, the number one ranked running back recruit uh, in last year's class at Penn State. And Quinshawn Judkins was a three-star, but a player that we had planted our flag on as a company at Campus to Canton. Uh, he was one of the more productive running backs in the country last year. I think that we are going to continue having the, the debate, kind of like you know Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, that, that debate that we had two years ago. I think that we're going to continue to debate these players um, into this season and the 2024 season. So, Quinshawn Judkin versus Nicholas Singleton, we got to continue to pay attention to that battle. So, am I ruining any of the three, two, and one if I ask you about Mark Fletcher, the my University of Miami running back? No, you're not. You're not ruining it. Ruining it at all because Mark Fletcher is most definitely not on this list. And let me tell you something about Mark Fletcher. I am the one who wrote up his profile for uh, the Camps to Canton Freshman and Supplemental Draft Guide. So I have, you know, several thoughts on Mark Fletcher. But I'm interested as to why you asked about about Fletcher specifically before I give you my thoughts. Well, one is that even though I was in Athens for 22 years or longer than that, I first, I first went to school at the University of Miami. And so if I'm a fan of any team for real in college football, it's – it's the Miami Hurricanes, and I'd like to see, I'd like to see them kind of get back on track. And I heard Mario Cristobal basically call him a stud, and that he's that he pretty much can do anything we've asked of him, and that he's and I haven't seen him at all. I just saw a tweet, and it just caught my eye because he described himself as a big, fast back who can move and pretty much do whatever you need him to do to 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 gain yardage. Well, that's a surprise to me that he's a big fast back because he's definitely big. But I think that uh, he's awesome. But the fat, but but the the rest of that sounds like uh, some coach speak and some 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 false uh, allegations as it pertains is, to Mark. Fletcher. Now, is he big in the sense that big and fast? If you take out the s in the word fast, is is like is he that kind of big or is he just big no? He doesn't have he doesn't have. I don't think he necessarily has bad weight on him. I was, I was just looking at my okay. evaluation. Six foot one, 225 pounds. Um, but he, okay, so he's one of those guys that I, I think gets a high pedigree because the, these players go to camps, right? They right. go to camps, the evaluators see them. And there are certain players, when you just look at their frame, you're impressed by their frame. If, they have, if they're a functional athlete, they'll get um, high recruiting pedigree. 
I think Mark Fletcher is that type of player who looks like Tarzan. So half of his recruiting pedigree is just, oh, this guy looks like he's, he's good. the big guy in the little coat deal. He's like Craig Lumpkin from years ago, the Georgia running back who was the top running back in the country because he was already 6'1", 225. That's and he ran, he's smart, and he had a little run with the Packers way back in the day in the Travis Jervy days, if you remember those. But he was he never had juice. He never I will juice. read I'll read this little excerpt from the and and again I did the I did uh I did oh it, the other thing is he went to one of these prestigious high schools. He went to American Heritage in Florida, which is a, a great a great program there. So I said, uh, this is what I said. This, I'll just read this paragraph. Fletcher uses his size at times to play physically, but quite frankly, he lacks the acceleration or burst needed to reach the dangerous ends of the force times mass equation. Put another way, Fletcher accelerates like a train, a train that is turning on its engines uh, after sitting at the station for a few days. He lacks both the, the quick twitch elusiveness to consistently avoid defenders in open space or the power to run them over. It is not uncommon to see him taken down by a defender in the secondary. Um, he and he can also get 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 uh, uh, caught from behind. I actually had some uh, I I had some footnotes in this evaluation for for things that I saw on tape in his games, but I basically concluded that I would not be surprised if he was just used as a fullback or if he switched positions altogether um, to play defense. Now, the fact that Mario Cristobal says he's, that he's playing great, I could be dead wrong here, um, but. No, but it's he, cool. It's it's cool to hear yeah. because I was curious today when I saw that, I was like, I have to ask Felix about him because I hadn't heard of him. And, you know, that's that's not my realm, but I figured that you that you guys had definitely were very familiar with him. And and obviously I, I, did, the right I just person. got lucky because I just so happened to write his his eva evaluation. So um, yeah, I got some strong opinions on him. All right, so now we are. It's funny. The, it's yeah. funny that you say that. Be, talk about the freshman because number three on my list yes. is about the freshman, and this is a fabulous um, quarterback. This is a fabulous freshman class at the quarterback position. Arch Manning is the name that everyone knows. Uh, I think he's at the, at the very – he is the number one quarterback according to the recruiting services. But for my money, he's quarterback three uh, in this class. That's still very good, but uh, you got Arch Manning, Malachi Nelson at USC, Nico Iamalieva at uh, Tennessee, Jackson Arnold at um, Oklahoma. Jackson Arnold, it's funny, he reminds me a little bit of Matt Corral and his uh, offensive coordinator – is Jeff Levy, who was Matt Corral's offensive coordinator at USC. But for my money, the cream of the crop, in my opinion, is Dante Moore. Who uh, Dante Moore, who's UCLA. at UCLA with Chip Kelly. He went to Detroit King in Michigan. Detroit King, if you list the top three schools in high school football in Michigan, Detroit King would be up there along with Muskegon. Um, started as a freshman, so and I heard the story from Alan, Alan True of 24-7 Sports, uh, they had Dante Moore, you know, come up in the offseason as an eighth grader in practicing with the team that offseason between his eighth grade year and ninth grade year. And the coaches knew that wow. this eighth grader, this rising ninth grader had something. And so he started um, for Detroit King as a, as a to me that, to me, a, a ninth grader starting as a freshman is more impressive than a a freshman starting in college because i mean the physical development yeah from i mean it's just not i mean it's not there yet it's no. just not there yet so um he played in two state championship games that are played on ford field where the lions play but from you know the types of throws that we see anticipatory throws back shoulder throws um he gets rid of the ball quickly i think he's going to be one of these quarterbacks that's difficult to sack because he just he gets rid of it quickly um they're just things that you don't you don't see from from high school from high school players. You see all the deep throws, all the go routes. You can see those on every single um, uh, high school player's tape. But throwing to the back shoulder, throwing in the middle of the field with defenders around and anticipating a a window, you just don't you yeah. don't see stuff like that. So uh, Dante Moore is my number one my number one quarterback. Love it. So 
Top two. What's our our second top big one? Two. Top two. Uh, I'm very intrigued by who will be the quarterback three for the 2024 class. There are two names at the top that everyone is pointing to in Caleb Williams and Drake May. Those are the guys that we're kind of writing off. All right, they're going to be first-round draft picks. Who is going to be third? I think that there are – well, there are a couple of candidates um, that I have heard. Quinn Ewers at Texas, Michael Penix Jr., who we've already mentioned at Washington, J.J. McCarthy at Michigan, and a dark horse out there I think is Michael Pratt at Tulane. Now, I think it's it's uncommon for a G5, definitely quarterback, to go in the first round. But we just saw it. I mean, Trey Lance was an FCS quarterback who went in the first round. We saw it with um, uh, Joe Flacco coming out of Delaware. Michael Pratt, I think he has a, a strong arm. He's mobile. He's really gutsy. I mean, was it last year when they started? No, it was, He's at Tulane, but he should have. He almost came back against Oklahoma in 2021 in their own place. Uh, gave Lincoln Riley and Spencer Rattler their scare. And then in 2022, actually beat Lincoln Riley and USC uh, in the bowl game, in, a, in, a, in an epic bowl game. I think Mike, I think, uh, I, I don't know why I'm just talking about Michael Pratt here, but I think that, 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 the NFL is going to like how gritty he is, how um, how tough he is. And when I mean tough, I mean he's one of these quarterbacks that you see running towards the goal line, and he doesn't slide. He's putting his shoulder down and getting helicopter spun around uh, and getting into the end zone. He probably takes too many hits, actually. But strong arm, kind of a fearless player, who, again, another player who started as a true freshman and has really improved. He could stay another year, but he's a candidate. But generally speaking, uh, who is going to emerge behind Caleb Williams and Michael Penix Jr.? I think it, I, it might be one of these guys. It might be somebody else, but I'm intrigued to see. Yeah, it's a great list. It's a great list of players. And it's fascinating that you bring up Trey Lance because I got a question from a, a, a listener today asking me, you know, Dan Orlovsky mentioned, I guess, on ESPN that Trey Lance wasn't a fit for the San Francisco offense. Um, and wanted to know what my isn't thoughts that what were he ran, that. isn't that what he ran in in college? It's I mean, he ran that wide zone play action off of wide zone scheme. Yeah, West Coast offense at North Dakota State, and they ran a true West Coast offense. So you know, obviously, that's why I was probably asked because they probably read it in the RSP and said that doesn't match up. You know, so you know to try and give credit to Dan as to what he was saying without seeing what Dan said I, I thought well maybe what he was saying was more several steps of not showing his work to explain why he said that because to me one is that yes how you read defenses in the NFL within the scope of a West Coast offense is probably a lot more advanced than what he was doing at North Dakota State to some degree based on the defenses that he might have been facing or at least maybe not structurally the defenses but the how advanced the defenders were at being able to disguise and do different things at that level that maybe you would see at, in um, than what you'd see in the NFL. But more importantly, I didn't take it as that he wasn't a literal mismatch for the scheme as much as that he was never Kyle Shanahan's guy no matter what the media said because I think and hear me out I want to see if you think I'm wearing a tinfoil hat on this one um, but because you know my thought is is that when you look at the Shanahan family I've talked a lot about how Mike Shanahan had a history of being a dysfunctional communicator um, at with the Denver Broncos as good of a coach as he was it was very well known, Ted Sunquist, when I came on his show, and Brandon Thorne, the excellent offensive line writer nowadays who does scouting for the Duke Merriweather's, you know, um, offensive lineman convention basically every year that these guys get together in the pros and compare notes on how to try and stop pass rushers. Brandon Thorne does these um, scouting reports, and Brandon was a production assistant for. Ted Sunquist when Sunquist had me on his show and during that time he told the story about how 
Jake Plummer, Pro Bowl year with Denver, got the NFC, AFC Championship through multiple interceptions in that game, and and Mike Shanahan said it was over. Like he knew he didn't want him um, to be the starter, but Plummer had the team. And then what you mysteriously saw, and C. Salami told me this watching and charting plays, is that one of Plummer's favorite plays was basically a, a, a play-action rollout that they went deep all the time um, last, you know, the that year that he had success. And Shanahan took it out of the playbook while the, the next year. Just completely removed Jake Plummer's best play from the playbook. And they struggled, and they inserted Jake Cutler. And then Plummer probably retired, probably in disgust of what was going on. And then when I think of Robert Griffin Jr. and him apparently going to Shanahan and saying, I, uh, I want to be developed like a real quarterback. Like I want to be developed as a pocket passer. I want to learn everything that I need to learn. And I'd like input on some of the plays in our offense. This was after his first year where he was awesome in, in the scheme that they used. Um, apparently Shanahan had issue with that because he later was on radio in Washington playing this whole, like, you know, like you, like RG three was a prima donna for asking. Yeah, right but 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 also expertly couching it in a way of saying it wasn't really Robert. He's just a young kid. He didn't know better. It was really Dan Snyder putting him up to this, and because nobody, no rookie or first year quarterback asked for input into the offense. I mean, he didn't know, but nobody does. That's unheard of. So that year, I asked some scouts I know. If that was true, and they all laughed, and they were all like, "No, ninety percent of the league allows their first year or even rookie quarterbacks to have input into the offense once they've learned some things to be able to get some plays in there." And what he was asking for was not unheard of at all. And I, because I remember watching Griffin that that second year, and they ran so much max protect, and like. It was like ridiculous how much Max protect they run, and they still couldn't protect him. And the and there were only like sometimes two, three receivers going out for routes, and they were getting well covered, and he was getting sacked. And you know a lot of that may have been on Griffin, but a lot of it was also on what they did with that scheme. Like it was like it was almost sabotage. And so I look at that and go, I think of those things, especially with Sunquist saying to me that when they drafted Cutler, they made, he said, I had to make sure that I got agreement from Shanahan on who I could draft. If the guy he wanted, who was Matt Liner, didn't get, didn't got picked that we could agree on Jay Cutler. Um, because you know, and when you think back, I would bet money that he wanted Kirk cousins. Um, and that that was his demand to have that picked when Robert Griffin was drafted and that the team that the that Snyder or the upper the upper brass above Shanahan wanted Griffin. And and the reason I'm sharing all this is that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. When you look at Kyle Shanahan, just like his dad, great play caller. Great play caller. But just like all West Coast offensive guys, they all um they they not all, but they can err on the side of scheme over personnel. And if there's players who are transcendent of scheme in terms of what they can do on the field, but they don't follow the screen scheme well right away. Those guys, the West Coast offensive guys don't like that. They can err against that sometimes. You know, not all of them, but some of them can. Especially if they're if they err on that side of the point that as I've been told by quarterback coaches that they view players almost like video games, components of a video game, and that they're at the control. It's their offense. And so when I think of John Lynch, a player, a former player, a Hall of Fame caliber safety, as a GM, picking players, and a, and then a coach who's a system guy, born and raised in a system, and he's known for his system, to the point that he's always picking these running backs who, like, have great speed, can catch the ball, but you have to basically tell them where to run it and not, don't deviate. Because that's what they're they're better in that than anything else. Because they're not high end processors. Tevin Coleman's, Jarek McKinnon's, to some extent, um, Elijah Mitchell, you know, guys like that. 
you know, they had to, in Atlanta, that he basically got put in a corner to use Devonta Freeman the way that they did in their best year. And I think that Christian McCaffrey was put in there by John Lynch. I think John Lynch was like, I'm tired of these. We've got this great offensive line, and you're just telling these guys to hit this one hole. Don't cut back. Don't think about bouncing. Don't think about doing anything that's instinctive. Just hit this one crease. Do what I say. I think he kind of put Shanahan in a hole and said, that's not working great enough because they all keep getting hurt, and then we don't have anybody who's worth a damn, and you're going to put Debo Samuel in there to run the ball, so I'm going to put McCaffrey in there. And this long approach to this thing is because when I think of Trey Lance, I I think, I really think now that Shanahan wanted Mac Jones. I really think he wanted an executor. And I think that Lynch saw a West Coast offensive young guy who could transcend things if they wanted to, but Shanahan saw it as, I want to win now. We've got a great team all around us. Why, do I, why are you going to give me a rookie who needs more seasoning in that regard, whereas I could have Jones a little bit later. We can sit back and have Garoppolo, and then he can just jump, ease him on in there, and it won't take as long. And I think there's a war going on like a cold war between the GM and the coach. And I think Trey Lanscott is one of those players who got caught in the middle of it. And hopefully he gets out of town because I think that's really that he will never fit in this offense because he trans he can transcend it and he may be more apt to do that in off structure or run or do some things that isn't the perfect academic read that Shanahan wants. And as a result of that, Shanahan's already said, forget you. I don't want you. I'm just going to run you out of here. And 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 I don't mean it in a ruthless, like, mean sort of way, like he hates Trey Lance. I just think he hates the idea of Trey Lance and wants to eliminate him from any consideration for his team um, as, a, as a viable option. Uh, basically make him expendable the same way Mike Shanahan made Robert Griffin III ex- expendable. Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's my tinfoil hat theory on all of this. Like, uh, if I were if I could bet five dollars here and there and say, in ten years we're gonna hear John Lynch, we're gonna hear reports about John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and how they did not work well together behind the scenes compared to what we're what we're seeing, you know. So, uh, it'll it'll be the thirty for thirty. It'll yeah, be that, the thirty for thirty on Trey Lance. So, with that said. What's your number one topic heading into the season here? I mean, what would your what would there's uh, there's one storyline that sticks out amongst all the storylines in college football, and that is just watching what happens with Colorado, what happens with Coach Prime's Colorado. Uh, Colorado is one hundred and thirtieth in returning production, according to. Uh, our data there at uh, Campus to Can, the CTC winning edge package, 130th. There are only 133 FBS teams, um, so I'm just really curious. I mean, they, it's a they had 50 transfers in this year's class, 50 transfers, 50. Um, we're talking about by the time by the time you know March or February March came around, they didn't even have enough players. I don't think to to put 22 players on the on the field. So um, they have a full roster now, 50 transfers. It's a super unique approach. How does this team uh, mesh? How does this team gel? You've got an innovative offensive mind in Sean Lewis. Sean Lewis was the former offensive coordinator, or excuse me, the former head coach at Kent State. And the Matt Kent State runs an up-tempo offense, scores a lot of points. So now we're, we're going to see that system uh, in the in the Pac-12, or at least – However long Colorado is in the Pac-12 before they join the the Big the Big 12 and the, the Pac-12 kind of collapses on itself, um, but but you know Colorado is the biggest is the biggest story this year. However it goes, good or bad, it's going to be the biggest story in college football. Which is why me and my oldest, me and my my son Cameron, we're going to be going uh, to that first game against Nebraska on September 9th, the first home game there at at, uh, at Colorado. So. Um, I mean, that's the biggest story in college football is, is Coach Prime. What does that team look like? And I, I, I can't wait to see uh, the spectacle. Yeah, and, and spectacle, I think, is a great word for it. But 
I think it's a strategic one on Dion's part to take a lot of pressure off the kids in the same way that, you know, say Sean Payton brought up the New York Jets and Nathaniel ha brought up Nathaniel Hackett, um, you know, and, and his job and, you know, his coaching job in Denver the year before. I think it's to get people distracted from the players that they want to ask a lot of questions about and allow them and allow the coaches to just take the heat you know to be in that spotlight and do what they need to do so yeah russell wilson doesn't have to hear about how bad his season was the year before or you know how are you shadir sanders going to handle jumping jumping leagues or jacques hunter jumping leagues are you big enough to do these things or just get the players away from the players so that they can just focus on doing what he's telling them to do you know i don't know it's a it you know dion is definitely a very good at, at drawing attention and can and can attract that with in terms of what he says and what he does but you know he's a smart guy you you know you certainly see that with him and he uses the he uses that to his advantage um so it does i agree it's going to be a fascinating thing and he knows he also knows i mean i don't know if i'd go so far to say that that he believes that any attention is good attention i don't think he believes that but i think he i think he's far more um comfortable with forms of attention that other coaches just wouldn't be able to handle as well or as adeptly so it may look like that in comparison you know like to me i don't know um Dabo Sweeney to me seems like the the opposite of that like a guy who you know he puts his foot in his mouth a lot and he and then he feels uncomfortable about it afterwards whereas I think that Dion is people think Dion's putting his foot in his mouth when he's actually you know doing something else um, instead you know or that he's just he never looks like he's really truly putting his foot in his mouth even though people want to make it look that way on some regard I mean I I have to agree with you on on Coach Prime being smart here because I look at his coordinator hires. Uh, Charles Kelly was at Alabama before. I think he was the assistant. Was he the assistant defensive coordinator? Assistant defensive coordinator. Uh, and then and then um, in Sean Sean Lewis was widely considered considered one of the best uh, coaches in the in the MAC, uh, and he took him as from being a head coach to being their offensive coordinator. I mean, I. I'm, I'm interested to see. I don't know that it'll be this year. I think that they'll have to get a few recruiting classes uh, under their belts, you know, three years down the line, and we'll see it. But, I, I mean, I can't think of a chapter, better. Chapter one's going to be interesting. Yeah, I can't think of a better place for him to be able to grow a program than a place like Colorado. I mean, really, that would be a, a fantastic place. You know, it, Boulder's a great town for a lot of things, for a lot of reasons. Football. Colorado is a football-friendly city or friend, football-friendly state as a whole. Um, it's not that far from Denver, so a lot of Denver people would be very happy to to kind of hitch to that bandwagon. And really, playing at altitude can be a challenge for other teams. So you know, getting got you know, getting great athletes who can who get used to playing in that in in that environment is also you know gives them a little bit of an advantage that's kind of fun and you know listen if you've successfully had stiff battles with the greatest wide receiver of all time in your playing career you didn't do it just because you were fast there were a lot of fast guys who basically looked like they came out of the toaster um, after Jerry Rice got through with them and Deion Sanders was rarely one of them um, you've got to be a student of the game to win against the ultimate student of the game in Jerry Rice or one of the ultimate students of the game. So, yeah, you know, we've seen it every step of the way here. I just think, you know, he's, um, he's one of those guys that's going to continually get questioned. It's like Lamar Jackson. I mean, he got, he, Lamar Jackson gets questioned in every turn, every step of the way. And here he was, Joel Corey, talking about he acquitted himself well negotiating his contract. There are people I have a lot of respect for who do, you know, who are in the financial industry who are like, yeah, there's no way this is going to work out well. 
and I feel like that he's done himself a disservice and somebody needs to, I want things to go well for him, but somebody needs to warn him and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And here we are, and they're and some of them are like to their credit. Some of those people are like, "I was wrong," and I'm so impressed with what he did. Um, and you know, we've never seen that. We've never seen that. And here's here's Lamar Jackson, you know, and proving people wrong. And I think that Deion Sanders is going to be kind of in the same boat because people don't see him coming. They think they see who he is, but they don't know who he is. And I think that. That's gonna once they start once they figure it out, it's gonna be too late. Chapter Chapter One is gonna be fun. Um, yeah. By the way, eleven days from uh, away from college football week zero, so we're gonna get to see, you know, some of this stuff before before the NFL kicks off. Absolutely, and we'll be you know this was a great kickoff show. We're gonna be doing this every other week like we did last year. Of course, you can check out campustocanton.com to get started and learn how to play both sides of the equation here when it comes to NFL and college football. Great format. Of course, the Rookie Scouting Portfolio, if you haven't gotten your RSP yet, um, look, I tell I tell my readers all the time, I give you the post-draft because that's what you want, but what you find out you need is that pre-draft because that pre-draft is telling you the straight dope without like all the like landing spot concerns and things like that. It's the true scouting reports. And I think... Uh, and a lot of my longtime readers are the ones that go, you told me that and I didn't believe you, but I like the pre-draft as much, if not more, because you, you get that on players long-term. It's going to help you in your waiver wires. I know you're all excited about your drafts, and they'll help you with your drafts too, but you also get the uh, you get the long-term look at these guys. You can look back and see some of these players who migrate to another team, who've been on three or four teams, and people are like, oh, he's no good. And figure out, oh, you know what? Maybe you just need the right situation. Things like that, and things can blossom from there. So you can go to mountwaldman.com to to learn more about that. And uh, we will check, you know, catch you again in a couple of weeks. On behalf of Felix Sharp and myself, thanks again for listening, and have a good night. <laughs>